Thank you very much, Adam and the Wilson Family Band. I, you guys, have you always caught this name, or is today the coining of the name? Okay, great. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Hey, my name's Kay Morrison. I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Thank you for coming and being here. It's always more awkward when no one shows up. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, Stephen and I are actually really good friends. I've been in a group together for a few years. That has been just a blessing in my life. And he was like, I'll let you tell more about yourself. And I thought, oh, yes, there's the challenge, isn't it? I worked for 10 years at Greenwood Community Church. I was associate pastor there for 10 years and then retired. Let's just acknowledge it was a very early retirement. Um, Retired in October due to some situations that I'll tell you about in just a few minutes. Nothing scandalous, just hard. Um, Anyway, so now what do I do? I don't know. I'm an artist. I'm an abstract artist. I come guest preach at places if they have me, but mostly what I do is I'm David's wife. We've been married for 35 years, and we got married when we were 10. I know it was very scandalous. We were very young. And so 35 years later, we've got four kids, are uh, all adults and out of the house. Hallelujah. And our oldest son is married, and he has our first grandbaby. They, you know, have this baby that is like the best thing that ever happened to us. Like, you, those of y'all that are grandparents know what I mean, right? Grandbabies. Oh my gosh. And then we have a daughter, soon to be married, um, lives here in Denver. Another daughter who's a teacher lives here in Denver, and a son who's in technology also lives here in Denver. And none of them live with us anymore, and we consider that a great success. Here's what I want to ask you about this morning for you to think about. Do you ever wonder if your life is pleasing to God? Do you ever think to yourself, like, I should be doing more? Like, I should be, like, you know, doing more for the kingdom and for Jesus, and, and I'm just, you know, not very important in the kingdom of God. Do you think there are super Christians, you know, like the missionaries and Mother Teresa, and, and those are the ones that God's really pleased with, and then there's just us, you know, that we just do our regular life? Or do you think that people who get paid to be Christians, like Stephen or like I did, like you think those people are the, the really special ones, right? And then the rest of us just work jobs and, you know, do we really even matter, Do you think about when Jesus was baptized and he heard the words of the Father spoken over him saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you ever think about that that was before Jesus did anything in ministry? But he had just spent 30 years as a regular guy, growing up, taking out the trash, doing what his mom and dad taught him, learning how to build stuff, how to be a carpenter, just an ordinary guy. And yet that's when the father spoke those words over him. Not at the crucifixion, not at the resurrection, but before he did anything, ministry. He said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you believe those words are true for you? Or those were only words for Jesus? Do you think that your life has to be radical and big and you shouldn't waste your life unless you're doing stuff for Jesus? It's a subtle heresy that slides in, I think, from the enemy to diminish our lives and make us um, shameful 
about where we are in the family of God instead of knowing what's actually true about us. Listen, I get this, especially after what happened to me in 2020. So 10 years on staff, um, in 2020, the same week you guys were thinking there was a pandemic, my health was falling apart, and there was a pandemic because I could hardly get seen. Um, I had to like have surgeries and was the only person getting things done in the hospital because everything was on lockdown. And as I got sicker and sicker and sicker and they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me, I went from this very busy life to 14 months fighting a virulent, rare infection in my salivary gland in the side of my face, to growing this giant thing on the side of my face, wondering, like, what is my face going to look like at the end of this if there is an end to this? IV antibiotics daily. My life radically changed in 2020. I want to give you an example of that. This is my one line a day, five-year um, diary. It's really cool. Uh, you take, it's one like day, whatever date it is, each year you write just what you're doing that day or what's happened that day. David's great-grandmother actually did one of these. And it's so interesting to see what her life was like. So I thought, well, I'll start doing this. Okay, so here's an example. This was May 1st, 2019. I taught Bible study that morning. I had a really um, big Bible study that I taught at Greenwood. Went to a brunch with some of our leadership at one of the ladies' house. I got my hair done um, <laughs> and met with a woman who was struggling, and we had a time of healing prayer for her. And then I had a discipleship group that met that night and had all these, these women that I was walking with, and we met that night. May 1st, that was 2019. Here's May 1st, 2020. Took a shower and washed my hair. That's it. That's what I did that day. That was it. That was the radical change just in one year's time. So here's what I had to wrestle with that I want us to think about this morning. Was God more pleased with my life when I was doing, or was he just as pleased with my life when all I could do was practically take a shower and then lay down on the couch for the rest of the day? Was he equally pleased with me doing really nothing? I mean, that was the basics of hygiene. Let's just put it at that, right? Was he equally as pleased with that? I believe he was. And I think our text this morning from Proverbs, a very random text that we're going to look at this morning, tells us this very thing, that what we think are our small, ordinary lives have huge impact, and they matter, and they're pleasing to God right where we are, that there are no super Christians that he finds more delightful than he finds each one of us. Now, first to illustrate that, we will use their, my new patron saint of proverbial wisdom. I know you're going to see this coming, Ted Lasso. So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, it's Apple TV program, not for small children. Let me just make sure that I say that. Hilarious. Ted Lasso is this big-hearted American Southern guy that um, is a football coach in America, but he gets hired, and there's a lot of reasons why, having never coached soccer, to, talk, to coach a London soccer club, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Everybody thinks he's a goofball. He's actually really wise. So in this clip that I'm going to show you, this is a moment with one of his players named Sam who had just messed up for the umpteenth time, and he's talking to Sam, giving him wisdom about how to look at this situation. Here you go. Hey, Sam, come here a sec. Coach, I'm, I'm sorry. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. 
Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. Yeah? Okay, you, that look on his face, you might look like that in just a minute when I read this scripture to you. Be a goldfish. They have 10-second memory. That was his proverbial wisdom to coach this guy on the art of soccer, right? That was his wisdom. Our scripture this morning is from Proverbs 30. It's verses 24 through 28, and be a goldfish could be part of these four really random verses. So here we go. Listen to him, and then I'll tell you more. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies or hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in the king's palaces." I'm sure you read that this morning in your devotional time. This is actually, when I read this to David, I told him, this is what I'm going to preach on a new Denver. He said, is that in the Bible? I said, yeah, as it turns out, these four verses are in the Bible, in Proverbs, written by a very interesting man named King Agar. Raise your hand if you know a lot about King Agar. That was a trick question because no one knows anything about him. It's the only place in scripture that he's mentioned which also kind of illustrates what I'm talking about this morning, right? That here's a guy who was a king and his biggest impact into our world was he wrote some of the most random scripture in Proverbs 30 that we're gonna look at today. I kind of like that about him. These four small creatures are called exceedingly wise. Not just wise, but they're exceedingly wise. They have wise advice for us and about our lives telling us that our small, ordinary lives, they have great impact and they please God. They matter in the kingdom. I think this is what King Agar was hoping someday in the future when these verses might have been read that we would hear from this wisdom from him, that our lives are meaningful. The way he decided to express that was to use four small creatures. It's what's called a downward example. We are way more comfortable and more used to upward examples. Let's elevate that person. That's why we have Christian celebrities nowadays is because we want to elevate people. Let's make them really important and then look to them as an example, which I think probably is a setup for failure. Side note, I don't think our souls were meant for celebrity. I really don't. I don't think we can bear the weight of that responsibility and scrutiny. What King Agar does is says, let's look down at these small little things as an example of wisdom. So let's look at each one of them and see what their wisdom is for us. First, it's the ant. No strength, but they store up food for the summer. They know in the summer they've got to store food so that they'll have it for their hard times, for the winter that's coming. I don't know if this is true for y'all, and I hope this isn't just an indictment on my lack of house cleaning, but every summer we get ants inside the house in the dog food bowl. They come in somehow every summer to make it to the dog food, to carry it away, to store up, to do instinctively what they know to do because the wisdom of the ant is the wisdom of when. The ant knows what time it is, knows how to look at the seasons of life and knows what to do, the wisdom of when in each one of those seasons. 
Three ways we get stuck, I think, though, are one, we get stuck in the past. Adam kind of alluded to that. I was so grateful he asked those really good questions of us from what I call the before times, like, you know, before we had COVID. So going forward, what is it that we want to take forward with us? A lot of us get stuck in the past either through trauma that we need good counseling and prayer to work through, or we get stuck in the past through nostalgia. Oh, it was so much better back then than it is now. I think that's really easy to do when we think about the before times, before COVID. Instead of acknowledging, wait, we're kind of getting a reset here. Um, Adam actually, and I'm sure y'all say this about him all the time, sounded exactly like Dallas Willard, who says that um, we don't learn from experience, we learn from reflecting on experience. Isn't that good? So the wisdom of knowing what time it is that we learn from it by reflecting on it in order to move forward. The second way we get stuck not knowing the wisdom of when is we get stuck in the present, just thinking this is all there is, I'm just gonna live for today, and then whatever happens tomorrow happens tomorrow without any forethought backwards or forwards, totally not just present in the moment, but thinking that's that's the only thing that matters. Or looking forward and thinking I'll be happy when. Gosh, I remember when we had four kids under the age of four, and I just thought, if, if someone will wipe themselves, I will be happy. Like, if there is some, some relief from all of the wiping that I'm doing, my life will be so much better. The irony of that is that during that season, when I felt like my life was super small, Like I kept my Bible on my kitchen island open so I would actually read it because that would be my best opportunity to because that was where I was going to make all this food for all these small people. Well, what ended up happening that was unforeseen, not knowing hard times were coming, was David got cancer. So he gets really, really sick. I've got four kids to take care of, plus him to take care of. But I came across the wisdom of the ant in this quote from a man named Richard Exley in a book called The Other God. Here's what he says. What will we do in the midnight of our need when the light of life is gone and our personal cupboards are despairingly bare? If we have come to God often in the sunshine of our lives, our anxious feet will find the familiar pathway even in the darkest night. Though blinded by disaster, though hounded and hindered by doubt, Though confused by life which seems out of hand, we can find our way to God intuitively because going to him has become second nature, a way of life. We store up the word, we store up the literal word, but we also store up Jesus himself by going to him over and over in the daily, regular parts of our lives, not knowing that we're actually preparing ourselves for what we will all face dark seasons, hard times, and our feet find the pathway the same way we used to say in the middle of the night, one of our kids could get out of bed, dodge every Lego piece on the floor, run to our bedroom, find into the bedroom, get to always my side of the bed. Mama, 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 help me, I'm having a bad dream. They knew intuitively how to do it even though the house was pitch black. When we use the wisdom of when, like the ant, it means that we're, t- it, we're going to God, storing up him, time with him, love of him, preparing ourselves for those hard seasons that will come. They'll come for all of us. 
Here's the wisdom of the hyrax or the coney. First of all, the first wisdom might be to know what that is, right? So that is what I love. This is one commentary said they're rock rats, they're mountain mice. They're tiny little badger-like rodents that live in the rocks in the mountains. They're the same color as the rocks. So the wisdom of knowing where they know exactly how far they can go from their little hole in the rock to be safe and then to get back to it again without getting killed. They know the farther they go from their home, the more likely they are to die. Here's the wisdom of where for us. Jesus told us that our home is in him. When he said to abide in me, that actually that word in the Greek means to dwell or to make your home in him. The psalmist over and over again, one of my favorites is in Psalm 62, tells us that we are to go to the rock, that God is our rock, our refuge. The New Testament tells us our life is hidden in Christ, that that is where our home is now. So we don't live doing for him, which is the world's way of living that it's easy to believe that's what we're supposed to be doing, but we live from him, from our home in him. That's why if we take Jesus at his word in John 15, when he says to us, abide in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing, not a few things, not some of your to-do list, not great things. You just can do flat out nothing unless you make your home in me. It's the wisdom of where. It's what those little rock rats know exactly. Now the locust Okay, no king, yet they advance together as one. So locusts instinctively know without each other, they're in trouble. They need to work together as a group. They are one when they're moving. Okay, a locust is like a cicada, which are gross. Let's just tell you that if you've ever seen like a movie or you've been in the South and you hear that sound at night, that's a cicada. That's the sound of, why are locusts a plague? Because they're terrible when they're all together, right? They accomplish a lot. So the cicadas now, if you know this about this brood X thing that's happening in the the South and the Southeast and up a little bit into the Northeast, um, this giant broods of cicadas are taking over areas, like they're swarming in these areas. So our son and daughter-in-law live in Alexandria, Virginia, and they were telling me about in DC that the cicadas were so massive, they shut down Dulles Airport by getting into the engines of airplanes. This is a Doppler map of that similar area. That's cicadas, not rain. They showed up on the Doppler weather map. It's crazy pants, right? That these horrible little creatures together. What is the wisdom that we're supposed to see from these little guys? It's the wisdom of who? It's knowing that we, like the locusts, were created for one another. Not to be alone, it's, man, it's been one of the hardest things about COVID is having to be separate. Like that whole social distancing, I really think it should have been physical distancing. Like we physically had to distance ourselves from one another. And it's been painful to do that. This past year, I had to be so careful because of my immune system being on IV antibiotics. And I couldn't be with people like I wanted to be with people. And isn't it great now? Like everything is kind of coming alive again and you drive by parks and there's people together like on blankets, like in the before times, you know, and you go out to dinner and there's tables like in the before times. It's beautiful because we need it. We might have a personal faith, 
but we do not have an individual faith. Our faith is connected to each other. We need each other to see who God is in the same way that we need to be with him to see who he is and who we are. We were made for one another, not just for ourselves. It's the wisdom of the locusts. It's all through scripture. In the Old Testament, it was the covenant people, the chosen people. It was a people. We are a people of God. In the New Testament, it's the church. It is one church, one body. We are one, just like the little locusts. Show us the example of that. Okay, the last weird creature is the lizard. So the the lizard, that was a little interesting to think about. The wisdom of the lizard who can be caught with the hand, but do you really want to? Like, do you really want to catch a lizard? I don't know. When our kids were little, we lived in Houston, and no matter how tight your house was, was sealed up, and it was because it was the surface of the sun outside, in, even in like December. And so your house was sealed up tight. No matter how, there was always a lizard in there somewhere. You could look around and see, just like this king's writing, that a lizard could get in. I wondered if he was right, like he's the king. He's like laying in bed, writing down some of his good thoughts about small animals. And he looks over and there's a lizard on the wall. (laughs) He's like, sure, my security and all the housekeeping in the world can't keep these things out of here. So why does he say that? A lizard can be caught, yet they're found in the king's palace? Well, I think it's a picture of us, of the grace that has brought us in to the kingdom of God that has brought us before the God of the universe in total peace before him. That's the grace that the lizard represents that brings us in to the wisdom of how, how we have access to God through the grace that was given to us through Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection that brought us into the family of God. In Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, it says, we were once separated, alienated, apart from him, and we who were far away have been brought near brought close to him, so near that in Hebrews 4, verse 16, 17, it says that we can boldly approach the throne of God, that we can bust in to the throne room and come right up to the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and of earth and of the universe and the galaxies, and we can draw up near to him as a father because we have been brought near through the grace of Jesus through faith in him. It is a beautiful picture of who we actually are, that we are able to do that. So these four small creatures, weird small creatures, (laughs) have something important to tell us then about our lives, about the importance of an ordinary life, that small animals like an ant or a lizard or a locust or a little rat They show us these important things. How much more you and I, created in the image of God and brought into the family of God, every single one of us, every one of us matter to him. The idea of dualism in our faith, that there is the sacred and then there's the secular. There are the people that are the super Christians and then there's the rest of us, is complete heresy. Because our ordinary lives matter to God. That's why Romans 12, 1, that calls us to live a life of worship. I love the way Eugene, Eugene Peterson says it into the message. Bring to me, God helping you, your ordinary everyday life. You're eating, you're drinking, you're going around life and present it before me. 
This is an act of worship. Do you believe that, though? When you sit at your desk on Monday morning and you open up your to-do list and you've got, you know, all these things that you have to do, do you think this is a sacred moment? This is holy work that I do. This afternoon when you're out cutting your grass, besides a sweaty moment, do you think that it's a sacred moment, that it is a holy thing to be pushing a lawnmower? When you're cleaning up after children, when you're taking care of elderly parents, when you're a small child learning how to tie your shoes, do you believe those ordinary, everyday moments matter to God? We can see that they do, that they are sacred, they are holy, that the word spoken over Jesus before he did anything, there were no miracles. Do you, have you ever thought about this? There are no uh, tables that Jesus made that are in museums anywhere. Like, nobody kept all the stuff that he worked on for all those 30 years as a carpenter. It's nowhere. No one has that stuff. It's just ordinary, everyday stuff. It probably wasn't even looked at as important. In a moment, we're going to take communion, and we're going to say together words that are from the book of common prayer. They're ordinary words. But words form us. The words we say to ourselves, either in our hearts or out loud, they actually form us. When I was a kid, we grew, I grew up going to church every Sunday with my parents, and it was kind of liturgical, so we said the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. Those words, I believe in God, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son. I mean, I, can, I haven't said the Apostles' Creed probably in a year and a half, and I could recite the whole thing because they were buried deep into my heart, and I can still call those words back up. And you know what? Those words chased me down when I ran from him because his words of truth over us. Here's what I would um, encourage you to try as an experiment. So here are some words that you might try at your coffee maker in the morning. You might try as you finish up your day of work, whatever that might look like. I'm probably going to say these at my easel tomorrow while I'm painting. I am your beloved daughter. This is who I am. It is the truest thing about me. That I am loved by God himself and I belong to him and the family of God into relationship. And that this moment is holy and sacred. There is no separation, dualism in the kingdom of God. It is holy and sacred because we live our lives from him and through him and to him for the glory of God. Would you pray with me and let's believe together. Father, we trust that your words are true and that when you spoke those beautiful words over Jesus, the echo of your voice would fall upon us. So open our hearts that we would truly believe we are wise daughters and sons. We are beloved daughters and sons and that you are pleased with our small, ordinary lives, that they matter to you. Would you open our hearts wide that we would drink from your truth and live from that place? We pray these things together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen.